Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. As always, lots of action to go over, starting with cricket. We head over to a little bit of tennis. There's some rewards and recognition coming India's way, and we'll talk about the Laureus Sports Awards for 2022. And as always, we'll wrap it up with all the footballing action from around the world with Somil. But first, here's Ayaz. Thank you, Mr. Fantastic. It's been actually a fantastic week of cricket, uh, loaded with uh, some high-quality action at the under-19 level, where India won their fifth title. And that's an amazing achievement. Fourth final in succession. So that tells you how strong uh, India's pool of talent is at the at the you know under-19 level. Then there is the major controversy involving Justin Langer, the Aussie coach who's been who's resigned actually. And if you ask me, he's been bumped off. We'll talk about that. And then finally, there is India versus West Indies, the series which just got underway, the ODI series. Rohit Sharma off to a flying start, but. Virat Kohli still searching for that big score. And the manner in which he played and got dismissed in this match suggests to me, frankly, that it's a mental issue now. It's a mindset issue. Obviously, it's not about his talent, his caliber, his class, his experience. But the fact that he's still failing to get that big score and now more and more getting out you know, this manner suggests that he really needs to rethink uh, or sit down and sort out his mind. Absolutely. Well, let's start with the big success uh, over in the West Indies, the under-19 team. This is the fifth title that India has won at the under-19 level with by far the most successful team. And you have to laud what the under-19 effort really stands for. It's given us players like Mohamed Kev, Virat Kohli, Prithvi Shaw, hopefully more coming out from this year's batch. Uh, Who's who's shown for you the brightest? Who do you think is most likely to be seen in India colours very soon? Well, actually, there's a clutch of players, aren't there, Mr. Fantastic? Because, you know, when you look back, some of some of the big stars in Indian cricket have come to the under-19 ranks. So, you mentioned Kef and, uh, you know, Yuvra Singh. Virat, Prithvi. Irfan Patan, Ajinkya Rahane, Rohit Sharma, Shikhar Dhawan. These have all graduated from the under-19 ranks into the Indian team. And, uh, you know, we haven't even exhausted the list of names. There are more, uh, more such players. So... I think this has become a great funnel or a feeder system or a pipeline, call it what you want. But it's making Indian cricket very formidable and rich, even at the international level. You know, you might ask, and people do ask me the question, if the Indian under-19 team can win the title five times, what's stopping the Indian international team from winning ICC tournaments five times in the same period of time? So, for that, I'll just say that the level is very different. You have to leapfrog to the international level and actually you can't leapfrog. There's a process by which you gather more experience, a more competitive edge and then become an international quality paper unless you're an exception like a Sachin Tendulkar or somebody like that. But that part, I think this under-19 team showed to me exceptional qualities in batting, in bowling, bowling in, you know, in terms of spin, in terms of pace. And also the resilience to fight back from very daunting situations. I love the way they played in the knockouts, you know, beating Bangladesh and beating Australia. And then, of course, going on to beat England. All three very tough competitors. Bangladesh were defending champions, don't forget. So that was a tight match because the conditions favoured the bowlers. Then against Australia, the conditions favoured the batsmen. And that's where the batsmen shone. 
And in the final, it became a tight match because England fought back well. But at the end of the day, it's the batsmen and the bowlers who shone. Now, if you, if I have to pick out an individual, that's not the fairest way to do it because I think the, the contribution of almost the entire team was, or, or the entire team was fantastic. But you have to look at players like Yashdul, Sheikh Rashid, captain and vice captain. Raj Bhava. Nishant Sindhu, uh, Ravi Kumar. There's also Otwal, the left-arm spinner. So, you know, you've got the spin bowlers, you've got the fast bowlers, you've got a captain who's an ebullient stroke player. You've got Sheikh Rashid, the vice captain, who's actually uh, very classically correct. Takes a little time, but he plays the anchor superbly. So, it's, it's been a fantastic performance. And I also want to add here that five or six, five players were affected by COVID uh, just when the tournament started. So, they had, including Yashdhul and uh, Sheikh Rashid, the captain, vice captain, they were missing in action. They came back and they showed no ill effect at all. You know, at least in the match against Australia, uh, it was Yashdhul and Sheikh Rashid who salvaged the situation from India. I think they were 37 for 2 India. And then they pulled on to a score of 290. Uh, so, it's, it's just been such a fantastic performance. And I see at least, well, you know, I would say that I hope all of them, but at least half a dozen of them becoming household names in India in the next year, year and a half, two years maybe. In fact, we might see some impact of their performance right away when the uh, IPL auction is held. You know, we'll see what is happening uh, when, when the auction takes place, the mega auction. Obviously, those who haven't played any domestic, you know, uh, level of cricket, they're not eligible for big bucks. But I can tell you that promoters, franchise owners, coaches and captains of franchises will be very eager to get some fresh legs and fresh, fresh lungs into their, into their squads. And, you know, this, this team is filled with such players. Well, absolutely. And I think this, like you said, the IPL auction could be one big, testing ground to see which of these players at least gets into the squad and maybe can get a year's experience being with uh, some of the big boys. Moving on to the seniors team though, India started off a home season or a mini home season really now against the West Indies. It was a fairly easy win to be honest, you know. on uh, In Ahmedabad, the spinners did their thing. Uh, West Indies uh, crumbled as per cue of true to form. Rohit Sharma hit a nice 60, India won on a canter. But the real talking point here is Virat Kohli. How long do you think this lack of form is going to continue? You mentioned up uh, top of the show that this is a mental issue now. What's the what's the fix? I wouldn't put it it's a concern, but it is growing. You know, and people, it's a growing kind of question, which will be, which is now swirling in, in the Indian cricket corridors as to What's happening with Virat? I mean, nobody questions his caliber. You don't need to. The stats tell you exactly what he's done. But when you look at the last two years, uh, he's had a, quite a number of half centuries. But what more than a century, I'm not saying that he should be making a century uh, that can happen uh, or may not happen. But what I'm not seeing is Virat Kohli, the impact player. The player who goes, goes out there, makes an impact, which helps the team win, which is what made him such a great cricketer when he started out, or you know, maybe even three, four years, three years, four years back, certainly in the last ten years, barring the last, you know, the take away the last twenty-four month period, what made Virat the superstar of international cricket or the superstar batsman of international cricket is whenever he walked out, he exuded that confidence, he exuded that, you know, repertoire of strokes, he exuded that intent. 
to say I will win the match, whatever the situation, however daunting. And it's not that you won it every time. But even if you fail to win it, you never thought that Virat's shoulders are sagging or he's carrying the weight of the world and that's bogging him down. But you're sensing all of this now. You know, I thought it was, in the context of the match, actually a false show of bravado by, by Virat, which is what surprised me because it was an easy target to overhaul. He came out, you know, he played only four balls and he hit two fours, one of which was a streaky stroke through, through the slip, one of which was an uppercut and the third one which he eventually got dismissed. And in between, he missed a pull of uh, one of the short deliveries. Uh, he just didn't look like he was in control of himself or of the situation. And frankly, the situation was in complete control. It was his dismissal which created a sort of crisis for India because Ishan Kishan and Rohit Sharma especially had given a very good start uh, to the Indian team. And then Rohit fell, then Virat fell, and Ishan Kishan fell, and suddenly you were, India was in a bit of a crisis. And then Rishabh Pant falling, uh, unfortunately, put India under pressure for no apparent reason. And if you have to look at one dismissal which could have caused major problems, it was Virat's. Uh, but apart from that, there was a lot that India gained from this match. Flying start for Rohit Sharma as a captain, as a you know, as the main captain, not a standing captain. Uh, and his sixty runs were superb to watch. As he run, for the last two, two and a, two years and more, maybe two and a half years from the World Cup 2019, he's batting at another level, uh, Rohit Sharma, and that rich vein of form continues. I thought also the spinners were impressive, especially Yuzvendra Chahal. So he got taunted for a few sixes, but he picked up four wickets, and that's important. See, in the middle overs, India was struggling because they were not fetching wickets. We saw what happened in South Africa when Peterson and Van der Rosen scored runs. That you get the couple of wickets at the top, and then you struggle in the middle overs. That didn't happen this time. Yuzvendra Chahal, Washington Sundar, they all bowled well. Both of them bowled well. Uh, Prasidha Krishna was very impressive in my opinion. So to Siraj, I thought, I thought Rohit handled the, the bowling superbly. You know, who to bring on when, the field to give them, built up their confidence. So overall, I think that a win is a win. I only feel that, you know, West Indies were off color. Maybe they, was, they were still jaded by the travel, not recovered from jet lag or whatever. But there was no Caribbean flavor in what they did, especially in the batting. And even when they got Suddenly, a windfall of wickets, three or four. They just didn't, didn't seem to have the drive to press home the advantage. You know, players getting energetic and saying, "Okay, we may still lose, but we'll pick up a couple of wickets more, which would get them brownie points for the remaining two matches." I didn't see that in the West Indies. So maybe they will. Be, it's going to be a different team in the next match. We'll have to wait and see. They looked for some runs from Kyron Pollard. I was a little surprised he didn't bowl in the match because he's been. Bowling fairly regularly and picking up wickets. In my opinion, there were two guys who impressed from the West Indies: Jason Holder, more with the bat, and Alazari Joseph with the ball. You know, he's he's a young fast bowler who's got the ability to extract life from any wicket, and he could be a problem for India in the remaining matches. Well, let's hope that that uh, West Indies team is able to put up a more decent fight because. Well, one is all these players are going to also be in the IPL pool, so it only behooves them to perform better over the next game at least. Moving on to Australia, the Justin Langer, not a very peaceful era, but it's over. 
He's finally resigned because he was only offered a short-term extension. That story is everywhere. Everyone knows what's really happened. But, well, according to Langer, he's going out on a high. Uh, I mean, if you look at what he said, which is he has a T20 World Cup winning squad, Ashes winning squad. The team rose to number one in the test rankings under him. He was selected as the wisdom coach of the year and was also inducted into the Australian Hall of Fame. All of this in the last five months. But what he's obviously not talking about are a few major failures on the team culture front and also performances where, uh, I mean, he lost to India twice, didn't he, at home? He did. I mean, it's it's been a... It's been a roller coaster ride for Justin Langer too. I mean, he's, he's obviously been a formidable player for Australia in the great team that they had, and you can see uh, that he was a much liked player in that team because almost everybody who played along with him in that you know whether it's Matthew Hayden or Damien Martin or Adam Gilchrist or Ricky Ponting or Mitchell Johnson, they've come to his support uh, in the recent shenanigans as they've unraveled. Uh, but I must say this: while his he's finished on a high. It's clear that he actually had very little role to play in any decisions uh, as a coach. You know, when you saw him in the T20 World Cup, he was almost sitting on the sidelines. What's happened is, you know, it's an open secret that there is a clutch of players or a bunch of senior pros in the Australian team who have taken control of the management, so to speak. It's not about standing there at the nets and saying, I'll give you catching practice and all that. It's in the tactics and the decision-making that they have marginalized or they had marginalized Justin Langer and largely because of his approach or his stern approach which Langer felt was uh, part of the passion that he has for cricket and for Australian cricket. Some of the senior players without being identified are actually now saying that India lost to Australia last year about a year back uh, because of Langer and despite India not having Virat Kohli in fact, most of the major players then. So, but the point I'm trying to make is, and um, uh, Mr. Fantastic, you know, it's difficult to put a finger exactly on what can go wrong. I mean, remember what happened with Anil Kumble in India. Uh, you know, man with a mighty reputation. It looked like a marriage made in heaven when he and Virat joined hands and then they fell apart in, in six months and Kumble had to go in six, you know, six months later. I think that the question to be asked is whether big ticket names actually end up being becoming very influential coaches or not when i say big ticket names i mean like a justin langer or a kumble and if they don't what is the reason what is this clash which happens why is it happening is it because of player power is it because of players becoming you know extremely rich and domineering that they don't brook any advice even however well intentioned from a senior professional who may have played the game at the highest level with great excellence 10-15 years back. These are things which need to be examined. And this is not the first time it has happened. As we know, Greg Chappell and Saurav Ganguly fell, fell out with each other within months. You know, I mean, the West Indies, we've had Dinesh Ramdin actually taking Panga with Viv Richards. So, yeah. it's, it's happened. Well, I, think, I think at some level, I don't... Uh, think it's so much to do with the money but uh, more about ideology and wanting to leave a legacy uh, because both are I think you're right but I also think it's a little about power play within the dressing room you know yes, absolutely and it's about you know both five visibility roles as captain and as coach both kind of equally responsible for success and failure 
And therefore, both want to have the ability to say that, hey, whatever I have done has worked and may also be in a situation where they don't want to be taking advice which doesn't always work according to them. So, yes, you're right. It comes to a power play slash ego play. You know, it's interesting. I'll just highlight this in the Indian context that the most the successful coaches have been John Wright and Gary Kirsten and Ravi Shastri. And none of them, I mean, they were all major players for their countries, but they were not what you would call superstars. The guys who otherwise been with Indian cricket, Greg Chappell, bombed Anil Kumble, and before him, Kapil Dev. Don't forget that, you know. And so, therefore, it's an intriguing and interesting phenomenon. And I, have, I must confess, I don't have a clear answer. I want to do a little more research on this and maybe I'll crack it. Yeah, well, maybe it's worth uh, doing a lot more research and figuring out how this uh, mindset really works on both sides. Well, let's hope whoever the incoming coach currently, it's an interim coach, can just, find... Just once, you know, I, I just, just for the benefit of our listeners, uh, Mr. Fantastic, I want to toss a uh, thing. So, for instance, in some of India's biggest triumphs, 83 World Cup, there was... Man Singh was the coach or manager. There was no coach. Yes. PR Man Singh. When you look at the 2007, when coaches had become common, 2007 T20 World Cup, which India won, it was Aljan Rajput who was the coach. Mm-hmm. You know, and the MS Dhoni was the captain. So, it wasn't some big-ticket guy leading the, the coaching duties. So... I don't know. Are you suggesting a situation where it's more a facilitator and an uh, organizer very, rather than a coach? Very intriguing. I think, in my opinion, more and more coaches have become extremely vital in the shortest format because there's a lot more happening minute by minute, second by second. Where test cricket is concerned, I feel that the job is still primarily the captain. And really, the issues that have been faced by coaches versus captains or coaches versus players is in the domain of test cricket, not so much in white ball cricket. Absolutely. Well, this will be fascinating to see how this team, the Australian team especially, evolves beyond this. Moving on to some other sports from around the world, well, not too far away from uh, India, the Tata Maharashtra Open, the only ATP tournament in India, concluded over this weekend. We had a home team win the doubles title with Rohan Gopanda and Ramnath Ram Kumar winning the doubles title after a tough final uh, victory. On the single side, we had Hoao Souza beat Emil Rusovori in a fabulous three setter, 7 6, 4 6, 6 1. And the last set really doesn't do justice to how the match panned out. It was really a great one to see. Uh, on the back of the Australian Open, uh, it's really good to see some international players in India. And this is a question I've always had, Dayaz. You know, we've got enough locations, enough uh, cities, the ability to build enough surfaces, does India not have more ATP tournaments? And this is a 250, not even a 500. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, you know, sad, what should I say, sad instances of India not flexing its muscle globally. There has been a kind of a, across the sports, like when you look at badminton, India has become the hub after China for badminton. And there's a whole cluster of players coming of very high quality. When you look at chess, India is pretty much a dominant player internationally in chess. Cricket, of course, uh, it is there. But when you look at, I'm not talking of football, hockey, India is, you know, back to... Absolutely. And uh, that's because kind of Odisha uh, adopted the sport. Correct. I think the biggest problem in tennis is that it has been riven with politics, the, the association, All India Tennis Association. 
you know, for the last 20 years, I would imagine, or maybe longer, this has been the case. I mean, till about a year, year and a half back, you still were depending on Leander Pays and Rohan Bopanna and Mahesh Bhupati, even Sanya Mirza, I would include in that. She's a veteran. She's been around for so long. Where are the young players? Where are the players who are looking at or who you can say they are serious contenders for titles at whatever level globally? It's just not there. And that's an area of serious concern. And I don't believe, I mean, yes, there are, you know, access to facilities. It's still very club driven and clubs are where the elite go and not the rank and file. But then it's the job of the association to make sure that access is given to kids from all strata of society. That's not happened. So one, I don't think we are living in an age in India where there is any cause for complaint about access to funds and facilities. If there is a strong enough case, there are enough and more corporates today willing to put up their hand and say, hey, we'll back this sport. So it's absolutely the lack of intent and too much politics. Pretty similar to what's ailing football in the country. I think football is a little better off. For instance, you've got the ISL, you've got, you know, there are things happening and historically, yes, football, we've not made a mark internationally, but there has been a whole robust clutch of tournaments that are played. They could be better. I think that more exposure needs to be given. Tennis is still an individual sport. In that sense, I would think it would be easier to manage than football, which is dependent on so many things. I think it's a question of showing greater will, a, a vision and a policy we put, to put into place. You're not going to get players even of the caliber of Leander or Bhupati or Sanya Mirza or Ramesh Krishnan and Vijay Amrita. And if you look at it, you can, if you have to count the names on in Indian, uh, Indian tennis over the last 50 years, you'll struggle to come up with 25 names. And this is off the back where India has typically done far better in doubles than it has in singles. We've had a world number one pair for a very long time and well, whatever happened there is part of history, but at least we had two players who were truly world-class. Uh, yeah, this is a mystery that completely eludes me. You have to wonder what is holding back from having more winners in the world of tennis. Speaking of winners, let's we've reached that time of year where it's time to reward and recognize performances from the previous year. The Laureus Sports Award for 2022 are here, and we have an entry. Neera Chopra makes it to the breakthrough athlete of the year list. He's listed among uh, six potential winners, which includes the likes of Daniel Medvedev as well. Uh, but I think this is quite an honor to have uh, Neeraj listed in this. Not just an honor. I think, obviously, it's a great honor. And I've been associated in some part with uh, with Glorious Awards over the past five, six, seven years for casting my vote as a media professional along with several from, from the rest of the world. But in my opinion, and I, I, don't, I don't know what the result will be, but in my opinion, Neeraj uh, uh, is a clear winner for the simple fact that India has never had a track and field gold medalist. And for somebody to, to, to win that at, at this young age and completely, you know, I won't say out of the blue, but against all odds, because all the favourites were, were throwing the javelin far ahead of him. And it seemed like he was, if he finishes on the podium, it would be a big thing. And hey, he goes there with his first throw, he's ensured a goal for himself. So I think this has been a remarkable performance. And not just what he has done. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a magnificent achievement for himself that he's won the gold medal. But I think it's opened up a whole new vista for sports in India. Young kids 
will now have that self belief to say that you know we can also win an olympic medal in track and field absolutely well he's up against quite a few uh, other deserving candidates of course you've got aryan titmus uh, for swimming from australia emmaradu kanu and daniel medvedev from tennis yulimar rojas a venezuelan athlete and footballer pedri from spain we'll keep an eye out and we'll keep you posted on whether neeraj is actually the winner here or not and that's about it from this part of it it's over to samil to take us through the world of football where senegal has finally won their maiden afcon title led by sadio mane and fa cup action from england hi folks welcome to this football segment of sports weekly and honestly it couldn't have been more dramatic not only in the world of international football but also in the world of club football but let's begin with the biggest result let's begin with the biggest tournament going around the african cup of nations and my word so far it's been so dramatic and it's almost poetic that it was poised to come down to mane versus sala to senegal versus egypt and the story of this final is so amazing because this match was very competitive very hard very hard hitting as well in terms of their style because both teams very aggressive in their play and what it came down to eventually was the thinnest of margins let me tell you more essentially what happened is the game began on equal footing let's put it that as it always does right that's a bit of a funny thing to say but you know honestly it was very well balanced out in the first half until senegal actually got a penalty and sadio mane was the one to take it up interestingly enough though mohammed salah actually gave some advice to the egyptian goalkeeper who eventually saved that penalty and mane couldn't convert it the match ended nil nil a very hard fought affair went into extra time no avail over there as well and when it went into penalties many thought that this could be it this could maybe be egypt's chance to finally get it done but sadio mane in in all his confidence and all his glory eventually converted the final spot kick to get senegal the win 4-2 in penalties he blew the first chance but the second one he wasn't going to let that one go what a close encounter what a match and then mane actually converted sala after egypt lost it was a very great performance by egypt but senegal they've created history they've won their first ever african cup of nations after their 16th participant in the tournament and crazily enough this tournament is so so wild that this is the 15th different nation to win the cup of nations i love it it's an amazing tournament to follow and what a dramatic end it had eventually but let's move on to the world of club football actually because there were a few dramatic stories that we tried to cover last week on the deadline day special but a few happened even after we published the episode so hey me out i told you that pierre mc obameyang might actually be headed to barcelona on a loan deal well that was the plan until a couple of hours after we published this episode that deal fell through because barcelona couldn't quite pay obameyang his salary the one he demanded naturally right they're, they're a bit of a bankrupt club right now but obameyang funnily enough started to train for barcelona and, and the reports were that obameyang had come back and said that this was a family trip with the family and what not the next morning he was spotted training for barcelona and the next morning after that it was reported that he'd signed for free with barcelona after taking a major pay cut wow we this was absolutely dramatic uh, from just randomly flying out of arsenal and out of london basically to visit barcelona and saying it was a family trip to eventually seeing a deal collapse on loan then to getting a free transfer it's crazy how this all progressed and 
I'm amazed. I'm amazed that Arsenal haven't quite got any fee for Aubameyang at all, nor have they got it for any of the other transfers that they've had, including Mustafi this year. So they, they've had a long list of players released and they didn't even get a single euro in transfer fees. Well, that did make their wage budget a little bit lighter, but this, this is not helping at all. But speaking of, there were other transfers as well. On deadline day, Everton, as I said, were turning out to be very, very ambitious because I mentioned that they just roped in Frank Lampard, not as a player, mind you, as a manager, but they also ended up getting Donny van der Beek on loan and Dele Alli as well. So the plans are certainly very expansive and very ambitious with Frank Lampard at Everton. And they've begun rather well, actually. They, they won their FA Cup fixture in this last week against Brentford 4-1. But the big fixture that I want to talk about right here in the FA Cup, I am absolutely amazed about two things. Firstly, the cup holders, Leicester City, have been beaten 1-4 by, of all the teams in the world, one that you would certainly not expect. Leicester City are the FA Cup champions. To see them knocked out by a team outside the Premier League is just baffling to anyone. In fact, I, I would be surprised if I said the same thing early on in the year. But in fact, Leicester have been locked out. Leicester City, the FA Cup winners are gone and Nottingham Forest have beaten them 4-1. And I, I, I couldn't believe it the first time I saw the result. I couldn't believe it when I saw the highlights. It's not like Nottingham lucked their way out, right? They scored four goals and they were absolutely comprehensive all the way through. It's just baffling to see how Leicester had more possession, had more control. But on the counter-attack, Nottingham were just that much better. And I'm just amazed by the way Brennan Johnson played in that game. Just absolutely took control of it and never gave Leicester a chance on the defence. And by the way, this was... Okay, you can call it a B Leicester side, but still, they are the defending FA Cup champions. You don't see anyone like that going out so harsh. But speaking of as well, another big name has bowed out and it's Manchester United. And a full-strength Manchester United, mind you, with the likes of Varane, with the likes of Ronaldo, with the likes of Bruno, Marcus Rashford, Jadon Sancho, Pogba, Shaw, Maguire, Dallow, Henderson. But I wouldn't call Maguire full-strength, but you get the point. The thing is, United drew 1-1 with this squad against Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough who are not even in the Premier League. And they lost on penalties 7-8. This is just a brand new low if, if there ever was a new low for Manchester United to reach. Things are just spiraling out of control for the club right now, being knocked out of the FA Cup like this one. This could have been a tournament for them to win because United usually end up doing well in knockout stage tournaments where they just eventually end up having spirited performances on that day. But this is just a brand new low, as I previously mentioned. And United are just slipping through. Same can be said for Leicester. Very disappointed to see that result. But all the other top teams have cruised their way past. Well, I hope there's going to be more dramatic stuff coming up with the Premier League action next week. We'll keep you updated right here on Sports Weekly. And we'll also let you know more about Aubameyang and how he settles in at Barcelona. Because this, frankly, was the most baffling transfer story of the entire year. See you, folks. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for that, Somil. I think Premier League action is back this weekend and we can't wait for it. But also, this weekend is the big IPL auction and we'll have all the info from that on our next episode. Till then, stay tuned, stay sporty. Thanks so much for being with us again, Ayaz. Thank you, Mr. Fantastic. Catch up next week. Take care.